In all languages, um, there are holdovers that people don't know where they came from or don't care. Uh, and, and things that when you stop and think about the phrase itself, it's a little strange. Uh, we could go on and on in English for sure. Uh, and all languages have them. Think about the phrase, bless you. is a strange phrase. Bless you is a phrase without a subject. It has no subject. Now in English, typically when we have a, no subject in a, in a phrase or a sentence, that's an imperative, the subject is understood. Right? So, so according to grammar rules, it should literally be understood you, right? You bless you. That's the way it should work, but it doesn't work that way. Who bless you? Well, of course, we understand that the original is God bless you, right? And, and whenever you sneeze, God bless you. In fact, it's such a part of our lexicon that it has become one word. God bless you. Right? There's no phrase, there's no, no, no stuff, just God bless you. Now, it's still in our language, even though we have grown to the point where we know that when you sneeze, your soul doesn't leave your body, right? And, and we need to, an emergency prayer on behalf of somebody to keep them from, you know, I don't know, being possessed by Satan or whatever. We, we've kind of gotten past that. And yet, God bless you, right? It's still there. And every language has these. Every language. Uh, now, not every, every... Interestingly enough, every language has something you say when you sneeze. And none have something you say when you cough. I don't get that. Right? What, what is it? It's strange. But we're going to look at another important phrase. Uh, it, it, it might be thought of as a... Just kind of a, a their phrase. It's a it's a Bible phrase. It's it's throughout the scriptures, and we skim over it every time. It's like it's like they are on our way to another thing. Uh, we always say, well, you know, if God repeats something, then it's important, right? We have you ever heard that phrase? If, if God re- I mean, well, first of all, if God says it once, it's important. But that's neither here nor there. But but if if God repeats, we say, well, that, that, that's really really important. You should pay attention when God starts repeating himself. I could turn to a bunch of places for this phrase. We're just going to turn to Romans chapter 1. And verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God, called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, in addition to other writers, usually begin their books, Grace and Peace. Grace and Peace. And we get into a book, and we just kind of skim past the first verse, don't we? It's, just, it's there, Grace and Peace. Okay, let's get to the stuff. And every book just about has this phrase. Now, I don't think that Paul had, I don't think to Paul it had become, God bless you. 
But I think probably to the majority of people living at the time that this was a common greeting. And I think too, likely, to the majority of people, this had become a God bless you. This had just become a grace and peace. It's something you say in greeting. It was a, I've heard different theories, but is obviously a common greeting in their day. And likely, Paul takes that and he's thinking it. You can, you can sincerely want to be nice, or, or not just like a polite thing that you say. If someone, you can generally wish someone health. But these phrases, I think, reveal a common theme. And that is that we are looking for a positive experience. Grace. Peace. How does that get into a lexicon? How does that become a part of a greeting? Isn't it because we are looking for a positive experience in life? We're talking about the structures that you and I are built on. We talked about the, the, the physical instinct last week, that, that, that we have self-preservation and, and the, the desire for accumulating things to have comfort in life and physical comfort. And that, that's fine. God has built that into us. We call uh, what we're talking about today th- this emotional aspect. We're kind of moving up the chain just a little bit. This, this emotional need that we have. Grace and peace. Grace is, this was not in a spiritual sense. Understand that. that the, the general public was not interested in spiritual things, really. That, that's not changed. They were interested in emotional things. This is an emotional need. We have emotional needs. It's a part of our character. Now as we look at life deeper than physical things, we talk about quality of life. Okay, I, I can afford these things. That's wonderful. But, but what does it bring me? And, and sometimes people question at the end of life that all the physical accumulation because they think, what has it brought me? Has it brought me peace? Right? It's deeper. It's more important. Really what people want is they want peace. They want happiness. Look at all of those words. All of these emotions come into play. Luke chapter 2, verse 13. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. Right? Peace on earth. What a great thing. Ah, this is exciting. Peace. Finally, whoever these people were that got this message, wow, peace. That appeals to people. That's what we want out of life. Finally, someone that will bring Peace. Happiness. How many phrases are there that talk about happiness in our our language? So much has to do... We we crave happiness. Job chapter 8, verse 20 is another one. 
And we could go through all these positive emotions, I'm sure. Job 8, 20 and 21. He says, Surely God does not reject a blameless man or strengthen the hands of evildoers. Yet He will fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. Enjoyment of the human experience. Laughter. Something so simple as that. Fun. Is not wrong. God has has designed it as a part of what we want. We're going to talk about a lot of different positive emotions later on. We're going to, things that are thought of as emotions, but they're more connected to spirituality, and there's a, a slight difference in, in the category. But I, I want to look at these types of emotions for a particular reason today. I want to look at what things like this have in common. And again, this is, they're not bad. But these have a specific a couple of things in common. And the first, I want to read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It's really a, a small part of a, a larger text we're familiar with. It's really chapters 1 and 2. But we're just going to read a part of, uh, of this text, chapter 2. Verse 1, he says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what's good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine, embracing folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects, houses I built, uh, and vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs and water groves and flourishing trees. Male and female servants I collected. Other slaves were born in my house. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I gathered and accumulated silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers, uh, the delights of the hearts of men. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied Myself nothing, my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what had I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. So I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom, and madness, and folly, and what can the king's successor, what more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in darkness, but I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. So I thought in my heart, the, fact, the fate of the fool will overtake me too. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless, for the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered in days. Uh, to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So I hated life because of the work that is done out of the sun. And it was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over the work which I have put and poured forth 
my effort and skill under the sun, and that's meaningless as well. So my heart began to despair over all my labor under the sun. Because a man can do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must leave everything he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and great misfortune. What does a man get for the work and anxious striving which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work, his pain, his grief. Even at night his mind doesn't rest. That's meaningless too. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, happiness, knowledge. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, the chasing after the wind. It's interesting, this passage. It's been read many times. Many lessons from it. We can look at a couple things that are common to all of these emotions, happiness and peace and amusements or entertainments or everything that, that, that Solomon was trying to search for and find. The first thing that we see is that they're temporary. These emotions specifically are temporary. For a word that dominates our conversation, you find in your New Testament that the word happiness doesn't appear. It's here as a, as a translation. It's a, uh, but it, it appears very seldom in your Bible, happiness. It dominates our conversation because it's a part of our human instinct. It's what we want. Happiness in life. Are you happy? It's an old word. It's a British. It comes from a British word, hat. And the word is the word for luck. Like good luck. Good fortune. So, in the pagan world, if you were lucky, if you had good, you'd have good fortune, it had to do with wealth, typically, then you were happy. When things weren't going good, then you were not happy. Isn't that happiness? That's exactly what Solomon described. Really, it's temporary. It's this, I have it today, but I don't tomorrow. I feel it today, but it comes and goes with what happens. Same word. Happiness is dependent upon what happens. That's why it's not really a, a, a primary biblical emotion. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that's not where God concerns himself. God wants to concern himself with things that are deeper and more permanent. So when your wealth runs out, I guess you're not happy. When things aren't going wonderful. And peace also is temporary. I know we talk about genuine peace and things like that, but peace really is temporary. There is no instance where peace is permanent. You have kids, you know that. But you, you just want 
peace. Hey, I want some peace and quiet for a change. For a change. Why? Because it's not the norm. It's temporary. I just need somewhere to get away for a moment. Right? It's temporary. It's it, no matter where you're at, in the Middle East or in your house, peace is temporary. Because we're people. And we interact, and we don't always have the same objectives, we don't always have the same concerns at the same moment in time. And those come into conflict, and then there's no peace. Enjoyment. Enjoyment is temporary, but for a slightly different reason. But it's just as temporary. What is the great enemy of enjoyment? What? Work. <laughs> work. <laughs> I was going to say boredom, but that works. Don't you get bored with entertainment after a while? Doesn't it seem like all the good movie line, storylines are done? Doesn't it? It's like, that's the same movie as that. Like, entertainment's boring. It's not original. It has, they have to keep amping things up a little bit more to get the same feel. To get that same emotion. How many of you get together with old buddies? You relived the glory days. Remember that time? You're looking for that same feel, aren't you? But it's never as fun as when it happened. You'll never laugh as hard the second time as a movie as you did the first. You'll, reliving those wonderful moments will never be the same as the first. It's never. Ever, ever. Emotions, that's the way emotions work. We get bored. So we go through these emotional expectations. I want that feeling. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to produce that same thing and it never does. It's not wrong. These emotions aren't wrong. They're part of who we are. But they're not just temporary. Solomon identifies another aspect. I'm not going to go through it deep because it's so self-evident. In this passage, what these emotions have in common. They were all centered on him. Right? Happiness is about me. Peace and quiet is about me. Entertainment's about me. My enjoyment. Solomon's target audience is always himself. I gathered. I had more. I pursued. Even when he's doing noble things, I considered. I wanted to know. All his fulfillment was wrapped up in himself being the audience. 
pleasure, these emotions specifically, are those types of emotions, they're lower emotions because they are temporary and they are focused on me. So, how can I take something that I consider lower and turn it into a higher fulfillment? Because that's one of the premises of the series, is that, that God has made all of these things in me for a reason. That God made us who we are, and God didn't make something wrong. There is a way to use these, to, to leverage these into a higher fulfillment. I want to look at an interesting con contrast here in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 21. He says, For a man can do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave everything he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This is meaningless. And this, is, this is vanity. Well, that's a negative word that seems pretty strongly worded in the negative, but then down at 24 and 25, look at that. He says, A man can do nothing better than to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in his work. I see this is from the hand of God. For without him, who can find Enjoyment. So, so he turns right around and almost seems to contradict himself. How? How can this be almost evil? And some versions say this is, this is evil. Not evil in the sense of morally evil, but, but bad, negative, harmful. Well, the last statement is clear. It's obvious from God. So we have to re-understand what we mean. And the first, that it isn't morally evil to want happiness or, or to seek peace or to seek joy and fun, those things. And God has designed this instinct, but we have a tendency to fulfill it in a harmful way. That's just the way we are. And so we go through these emotional cycles because of where we're putting our expectations. We are looking for these types of things to fulfill us. Not be a part of my life, not be a, a part of the structure upon which I exist, but, but I want these things to fulfill me and I'm looking for peace and happiness that's permanent and I'm looking for the wrong thing. It, it never exists, what I'm looking for. Well, I want to look at James chapter 3. And understand peace a little bit differently. Verse 17, he says, But wisdom that comes from above is first purer than peaceable. Willing to yield, considerate, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. Those, it's a peace, this is a peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. But I like that there's another phrase that talks about peace is made by those who pursue it. Peace is made. Peace isn't found. Peace 
is made. We make peace. Peacemakers. All those phrases. There's a lot of phrases along those lines. And it is pursued. That's the reality. It's not a state of being. We're, we're looking for peace as a state of being. It's not permanent. You can't. Uh, a similar Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, verse 19. He says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads or makes for peace and mutual edification. And we see here again another shift from our mentality. God changes the shift in both areas that we looked at. Not only is it made... But the perspective of, of peace, because says you want the emotion of peace, first of all, you're going to have to work for it. You're not going to find it. Not, not as a state of existence. You're going to have to chase for it. You're going to have to want to make it. You're going to have to sow for it. You have to work for it. But you're also going to find it when you are looking for mutual peace. In other words, genuine peace is only found when everybody involved is at peace. Right? If, if, if two people have a conflict and the stronger one gets everything he wants, there's not really peace. Eh, that's not peace. It's not going to work out for that long. Because the weaker one's going to try to figure out how to get stronger and get back what he thinks is his or hers. That, that's how... So there's not really peace. When both sides are at peace, then there's peace. And it doesn't come until then. An enjoyment. Romans chapter 15, one chapter over. Verse 22, beginning, he says, This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you, now there's no more place for me to work in these regions since I have been longing for many years to see you. And I plan to do so when I go to Spain, or on my way to Spain, excuse me. <clears throat> I hope you to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Enjoyment. God is all for it. I want you to notice where his enjoyment came from. It didn't come from entertainment. I'm not saying we can't enjoy entertainment. I'm just saying that was not where his desired enjoyment came from. He was looking for a higher fulfillment. Higher fulfillment of this basic need that we have does not come through fun. But fun is a reaction of relationships. 
That's where the fun was. Paul looked forward to spending time with people. Connections. How many of you like to do entertainment by yourself? I'm sure there's some. Like to go out. You ever been to a restaurant by yourself? That's a waste of money. The meal doesn't taste as good. You go to a movie by yourself? It's not as funny. Have you ever noticed that funny movie's not as funny by yourself? You like to laugh with somebody, don't you? It's all about connections. Our enjoyment was designed. This is why Solomon has the problem. He was seeking everything for himself. He thought he was the target audience instead of people being a mutual audience. And he missed the boat. We'll be close here, but... These desires exist in us because we naturally long for eternal fulfillment of things. We want eternal fulfillment for these instincts. Obviously, we look for an eternal place where we are at peace with no interruptions. Where there is enjoyment eternally. I don't know about entertainment eternally. I don't know the structure up there. But we think of it as certainly a place that's not going to be any boredom. And I'm hoping I don't have to punch a time clock. The enemy of fun. where happiness is a constant condition. A place where these don't have to be the results of work, by the way. Where they simply exist because they exist. However, until then, certain rules apply to peace and happiness and enjoyment, to this quality of life, to this experience that I'm looking for, the, the, the wonderful experience that life can be. I do have to work for it. And so I always leave with the challenge. But the next time, I want you to think about this, the next time things are out of order, where you do not have these conditions, to remember, first of all, the tenuous nature of our emotional state. The next day that you're, everything is fine and wonderful, and in a moment something takes away your peace because those moments come in a moment there is no peace in a moment there is no enjoyment remember that these are not designed to be permanent here God has something permanent elsewhere we're born to ups and downs That's the nature of these things. 
But the challenge is, if you want these things, even in those down times, the best place you're going to find any of these is with people. You are not going to find it on your own. You're going to need other people 